0: Well, good morning. Um, I just got back from the most expensive, I mean, happiest place on earth, Disneyland. Um, and I have to say, I was actually pleasantly surprised. Um, there's a picture of us on Splash Mountain. You can see just the pure joy in Judah's face. Um, I was pleasantly surprised because I had pretty low expectations going in. I'm not really a big Disney person like I like Disney movies and I like theme parks but there's like Disney people that go to those parks and that's great that's an awesome thing you know I'm not making fun of them that's a normal thing to do uh, but I'm not one of those people and, and so going to Disneyland I pictured like oh we're just going to be staying in lines and my, you know it, last time I went I was kind of unimpressed and um this time going was a totally different experience. So we went with uh, Judah and Cohen, um, my four-year-old now and almost two-year-old. And there is something different about seeing Disney through your kids' eyes, right? Like, like, Judah is so excited. I mean, this is like the look he had on his face the whole day. Like, everything he saw was just like amazing and magical. There was just this awe and wonder, like, we walk into Carsland and he's like, we're here. He kept asking me, are we in the TV? And I was, no, we're not in the TV, but it seems like it, right? Like, this is amazing, and, you know, everywhere we went, he was just in awe and wonder, and there's something, I think, that's just so contagious about when someone's, like, in love with something, or someone is just fascinated by something, and it, it tends to draw you into it, right? Like, my, my kids love cars and, like, Radiator Springs. We went to Carsland and, like, I was excited to meet Lightning McQueen. I don't know why. Like, I know that's not really Lightning McQueen. I know there's probably a guy in there that's pressing buttons, but, like, something about my son's love for it, like, draws me into it. It makes it, like, a, a more special experience, um, and I think that happens with lots of things in life. Like, when someone just really loves something, it draws you in. it makes you want to like, participate in it and be a part of it. You see it a little differently because of how they see it. And this is this kind of like awe and wonder, this contagiousness that, that you know happened with me. This is kind of what we're going to be talking about today, and uh, what, what's happening in the early church. We're going to turn to Acts 2: 42 through 47. I'm just going to read it for you guys. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, if you remember from last week, what just happened is the Day of Pentecost, um, and so Jared, you know, gave a sermon on that. I wasn't here; I was in Disneyland. Um, but uh, three, like, the Holy Spirit comes. Three thousand people come to know Jesus. Like, th- this is exciting, and now there's this there's this body of believers. There's this church that's starting to form. And in Acts 2.42, it begins to tell us what this church looks like. And it is, it's electric. The people are filled with awe and wonder, and, and they're giving away their possessions, and people are being saved every day. And everything that's happening, I noticed, uh, three times this word showed up in, in these verses. It's happening together. All this stuff is happening together. They're, they're, they're in fellowship with one another. They're constantly in, in this community with one another. And I, I realized community is really a powerful thing. I mean, that's why gangs exist, right? Like, gangs don't exist because of the great pay and, and, and because of the, like, long life expectancy, right? That's not why people join a gang. They join a gang because you want somewhere where you belong. It's like a, this deep desire that's placed with, within each of us, and it's because we're created that way. Um, in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, it says, "Then God said, "Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness." The first time uh, I, I read, you know, through the Bible um, I sat down and started in Genesis. And I remember getting to this passage and thinking, who's God talking to, right? Like, is this some sort of, like, multiple personality disorder thing or, like, you know, Gollum where he in the Lord of the Rings is talking to himself, like, my precious, you know, what is going on here? And I didn't get it. Who's God talking to? And, you know, if you've been around the church for a while, you know that this is, like, a reference to the Trinity, that God within himself is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's, there's three but one, one but three. It's this mystery that it, it is almost impossible to explain. It's impossible to wrap our heads around. But within God himself, there, he has perfect community. Right? He's in this perfect community of Father, Son, Holy Spirit in himself. And then he creates us in his image. And so if we're created in the image of God then we have this same need for community. We're, if we're going to reflect God's image, if we're going to reflect who God is, then we have to do that in community. We can't be d- doing that all on our own. It, it's literally like weaved into the fabric of who we are to be with others. It is not good to be alone. And th- this is for the most introverted introverts. Like It is still not good to, to always be alone. We're made for relationships with others, Uh, and especially as believers. I mean, everyone, every created being is not made to be alone. We're made to be with others, to be in community. But especially believers, that's why there's so many one another passages throughout Scripture. In the the New Testament, uh, there's passages that say to love one another, or to bear one another's burdens, or uh, to forgive one another. Right? There's actually a hundred one another uh, passages in the New Testament, and you can't do one another by yourself. It's just impossible. You can't do it by yourself. There's this implication that we're going to be in community with one another. We're going to be spending time with one another. Um, this early church is literally built around this idea. It's built around even more than just being together, this meal together. Um, if you look at Acts two forty-two through forty-seven, three times. Uh, this is the only thing that is brought up three times. You know, it says that they're, they're devoted to the teaching, to break, uh, to prayer, but but eating. So breaking of bread, they broke bread, they ate together three times. It mentions them eating together. Um, this was like the strategy of growth for this early church. The eating together, the being together over a meal, that's what it was all, like that was so central to this early church. And and scripture tells us about this explosive growth that happens in the early church, right? I mean, it starts with with 120 people after Jesus ascends, and then 25 years later, they think there's probably about 50,000 believers in 25 years. 50,000 believers. There's something powerful about getting together with other believers, having this fellowship, eating a meal together that, that draws people in. Fellowship around a table was, was a central thing to the early church. And they actually, you know, we call, Uh, This like a church service, right? You know, you came to the 1030 service of church. Well, uh, I learned from a pastor, John Mark Comer, that they actually used to call these things, these gatherings, uh, agape feasts or love feasts. So, like, it was literally in the name that you were going to have a feast, that you were going to eat together because it was so central to to what the church was. And I think it, it used to be the meat and potatoes, of, of what church was, and that's a pun because it's food. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, it used to be the meat and potatoes, and now it seems like fellowship in general is just, like, the extra credit. Like, that that's something we do if we have extra time as a church. That's something we do if you show up early or you stay a little late. You know, it's the, it's the extra. Um, it's no longer... The, one of the essential things. It's kind of like the peripheral things about uh, a gathering. And I think it's telling that our culture as a whole is, is moving the same direction. The culture as a whole isn't having these meals together with one another. Um, just a few stats that I'll read to you guys. Um, families rarely gather for dinner together anymore. Only... Seventeen uh, percent of American families still sit down for a meal together, regularly. Over half of them do it while watching TV, which I feel guilty about, because I do that sometimes. Uh, the average meal time over 60 years ago was about an hour and a half, and now the average meal time is down to 12 minutes. And so for me, I'm thinking, 12 minutes seems like a long time with a four-year-old and a two-year-old' like. <laughs> Like, we get six minutes. That's awesome. Um, One in five meals uh, eaten in America is eaten in the car. So, like, we're just always on the go. We always got to get to the next thing. And the meal has just become, like, a means to, you know, just shoveling food while we're going to the next place. Um, And there's been a 45% decline in hospitality as a whole in the last three decades. So, So, just... People inviting other people over, 45% decline. All these stats, by the way, are pre pandemic. So, you like, we know that people are eating fast food a lot more than they were before, right? Like, we know we're eating in our car probably more. We're, we know that, that, that people aren't being invited over less. Um, and, and, and so, e- even thinking about like how houses are built, um, you know, houses. 80 years ago were built with these big front porches. Like It was all about this front living area, this front porch. Now every house is about the back porch, right? It, the front porch was about like, oh, you get to see people and talk to people and interact with your neighbors. And the back porch is like, okay, we're protected here. No, no one can get us back here. Even the, the living room was built you know, to be around like a coffee table. This, and now living rooms are built pointed at a TV, Right? There's, there's this thing that is happening, and it's, it's having an effect on us. Um, Mother Teresa, she, she said that loneliness is the leprosy of the mo- modern world. Loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. And I feel like there is not a time in history that we are more isolated uh, as, as a culture, the people than right now. I mean, even think about TV, um, which, you know, I said earlier wasn't even a good thing. But TV, it, you know, screens got bigger and bigger and bigger for a while. They're still big. Um, and, and the living room, you would at least gather to watch this entertainment together, okay? So it's not, not like you're having this deep connection, but at least you would gather and watch this thing together now everyone has their own device. Like, everyone has a TV in their pocket and and an iPad. And if, uh, I hate to admit it, but if we're watching one of Sarah's shows that she likes, I'm on my phone, like, doing something else. And if we're watching a show I like, she's probably on her phone. Like, we don't even engage in the entertainment that we like together, you know? And and uh, our, our phone, it used to be something that we exclusively used to talk you know, to talk to someone, to connect with someone, um, to have a conversation with someone. Now it's like I use my phone to not talk to people. <laughs> like in line at the store, I'm on my phone. That way I don't have to talk to the, the person next to me. And, you know, it's become this thing that we have at our house, and it keeps us from talking to one another. Like the, the very purpose of the phone was to connect with other people, and it's, it's completely changed now. Um, the, on average, you know this, we touch our phones 2,000 times a day, no. 2,000 times a day, yeah, now that you actually look at it 2,000, but you touch it 2,000 times a day. Um, on average, we, we spend five hours a day on phones, this is just phones, like uh, there's other, there's TV, there's all these other things too that we spend our time on. And I think what's happened is we've isolated ourselves in the pursuit of independence and freedom, and, and our own preferences, and we've built these little worlds of all the things that we like, right? Like, you know, the shows I like, and the, the people I like, you know, all these things that I like, and I'm the only person in that world now. Like, I, we, we isolate ourselves with this, this technology. Um, in, in Acts 2.42, it, it begins, and it says that the The people are devoted. They devoted themselves to these things. And I began to question and ask myself, what am I devoted to? Like, if someone were to look at my life and how I spend my time and were to look at, you you know, if they could just see my thoughts, what filled my brain all day, what would they say I'm devoted to? Would they really say I'm devoted to gathering with other believers? Is that... I don't know if that would be like at the top of the list. I think so much uh, more often we're, we're devoted to what the, the culture is devoted to, which is comfort and convenience. I think that the highest priorities of our culture are convenience and, co- and comfort. Can I get something quickly and easily? It, you know That's why Amazon is so popular. It's, it's comfortable and it's convenient. And it's fast. It's really fast. Um, and, and, and the truth for me is if I'm, if something is not convenient or not comfortable, like, I tend to push back on it. I don't really want to do it. And so I even think, you know, when I was a therapist, I even think we've turned this idea of, of self-care, which is a good thing. Like, we ought to be caring for ourselves and our souls, and, and we've made it into this thing where I don't have to do anything I don't like, and I don't... Uh, I don't have to do anything that's inconvenient to me, because that's, I'll, I'll call that self-care. Like, I think we t- we've taken it so far that we're missing out on something that is so good for our souls, that, that, that is so fulfilling. Um, we're, we're probably less interested in true community, in, in gathering together with one another than we are in simply just being entertained. We're more interested in in maybe looking a certain way or in making more money or or getting ahead or or like the baby's sleep schedule, which I know is very important. It's very important, (laughs) Uh, but uh, we're more interested in like all the sports, you know, all these things that just fill our days and make us so busy, like those are the things that we tend to find that we're devoted to. But the, the early believers, these, these first Christians, they were, they were devoted to each other. Churches now, and, and you know, I don't want to bash on the church. I, the church is a wonderful thing. Uh, it, it is the only place to be a believer. Uh, but churches, we've kind of moved into like, okay, how can we make it more convenient for people to show up to church? How can we make it more comfortable for people to show up to church? And I think that's probably a good thing like removing obstacles for people to come to church. That's, that, that, that is a good thing. And so we've got, you know, childcare, and we've got coffee, and we've got nice seats, and, and, you know, and I'm grateful for all of these things, and we keep it nice and short, and, you know, all these things that we've come so used to, and you think, okay, maybe that, that will bring more people, but the truth is that even now, uh, you know, the average American churchgoer only shows up just over one time a month, all right? So only just over one time a month, the average American churchgoer shows up to church, even with how easy it is and how, you know, and we've made it ultimately easy that you could just literally turn on the TV. You don't even have to leave the, the living room, right? And, and that's been a, a super helpful tool and a great thing. But at the same time, like people stopped using that as well. And it's really not about this convenience or this comfort that we're trying to offer people. People, we're hungry for something more. We're hungry for, like, real connection. We're hungry for these deep friendships and this, this community that we see in Acts 2.42. You know, even with these people, they had to be devoted to it. It didn't just happen naturally. Like, you might look at it and say, okay, the culture back then was... Uh, totally different than it is now, which is true. It's totally different, Um, you know, 2,000 years ago in Israel. But at the same time, it it still took effort. It still took uh, devotion to these things. And they wouldn't have written about it if it wasn't so countercultural, right? Like, if this was a normal thing that people just spent all their time with one another and cared for each other this way 2,000 years ago, this wouldn't have been a big deal. They wouldn't even have written about it. It wouldn't have made a splash, we probably wouldn't have seen the church grow like it did. But it was a big deal. And, and so it was countercultural. And so we're called to that same sort of devotion, that same sort of countercultural devotion. Um, community is costly. Like fellowship doesn't just happen to us. It's something that, that we have to participate in, that we have to sacrifice for. It's, it's really hard. It takes intentional effort. It takes calendaring and planning. It takes getting rid of some of the things that make our lives so busy all the time. Things that are good, but, but maybe we're not called to. We're all busy. I don't know if I've met an adult who's not busy. And so, you know, we think, okay, well, gathering with other Christians, being together with other believers, that's something I'll do in my free time. Well, like, I, free time is a myth. There is no free time. Like you create, we create time for the things that are important. I really believe that. And, 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 and so this is not something that we do when we're done with the important things. This is the important thing. Right? Gathering together seems like a simple or trite thing, but it, it is so deeply ingrained in who we are, and it makes a huge difference. And so I feel like we read this verse and we, and we see this, you know, Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see this early church, and there's something in us that's like, I want that. I want to be a part of something like that. Like that I want to have friendships and, and community like this. And I, I want to care for people and have people care for me. Like, this is something I want to be a part of. How do we do it? I think there's a couple things um, that we have to do in order to, to kind of get community like this. I think the first... I already mentioned it. we got to eat together. Um, yeah, this is easy for some of us. Like, I love eating, <laughs> and I love eating with other people. Uh, for others, it might be a little more difficult. You might not like eating with other people. You might be annoyed by na- mouth noises like Tim. Um, <clears throat> but I, I'll admit something. My, uh, my first time coming to this church, like, when, when the merger started, I, I showed up. And I saw the kitchen at the church, and I, the first thought that came through my head was, why does the church need a kitchen? That seems silly. And then, <laughs> now that I've gone through this study, I feel like the early church would be like, this, why is there all this other stuff with the kitchen? right? Like the kitchen would, be, would have been the central thing that they would have built, because it was around food. These early gatherings were all about getting together, eating together. Um, you know, the men's breakfast on, on Tuesday mornings, like, I, I said last service, George Churchfield has cooked me probably more breakfast than anyone else in the world. And so, like, I see, I see it happening here at this church. Like, uh, Katie Collins, she's someone who cooks all the time for uh, like, for the youth and for me, per, like, she cooks for the staff. Like she does, the, I see these things happening, and it's, it's where real community is found, It's how community happens. It seems simple, but it really is important. The second thing, we have to be on mission together. Um, Philippians, Paul in Philippians, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says this. I thank my God every time I remember you talking to the, the church in Philippi. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice he doesn't th- say, I thank my God for you guys showing up and hearing my sermons. Like, like there's more to it. Th- 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 there's this partnership. He feels like we're co-workers together. Like, there's more th- than, that they're doing than just showing up. It's, Paul felt like he was co-workers with the Philippians. They had this common goal. They, they were working together. I don't know if any of you are, like, in a corporate job where you've had to go on a corporate retreat. Um, but... I, I have not, I've never been on a corporate retreat. But um, oftentimes on those retreats, what do they have people do? They have people do, like, silly tasks that they're trying to accomplish together, right? Like, uh, even at our, our youth camp, we had the kids, like, try to hold up a bucket of water ab- above all of them with just their feet, right? And so they're all working together towards this common goal, and there's something that's bonding about that. Like, that's the whole point of, of these corporate retreats is that you get your staff to bond. And so we, we, we'll come up with some of these, like, silly games that we'll play in order to push ourselves towards a common goal. Because something happens when we're moving towards a common goal, we're moving towards each other. Like, there's a, there's a fellowship that happens in partnership. This is why, like, uh, you probably become friends with a lot of the people you work with because you guys are, are working together. You're coworkers. Like this, is, this is what we're meant to be as a church. We're meant to be co-workers who are moving towards the common goal, that are doing things together. If you're a believer and you're at Desert City, you're on the team. Like, there is no consumer Christianity allowed. I'm going to say it right now. No consumer Christianity. You are on the team. We want you to be part of it. We want you to, to partner with us and, and jump in and do things. And um, when that happens... That's when real community happens. That's when real fellowship happens, when, when we're chasing this thing together. Third thing is we got to learn to serve each other well. Um, we've got to learn to serve each other well. Philippians 2, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Um, So it says, put others first. Be a servant. Don't be selfish. These are really easy things to say and really hard things to do. They're, they're incredibly easy to say, okay, I'll, I'll be not selfish. It's way harder to actually accomplish that. We're, we're never going to build a community if we're always concerned with what I get. If I'm always concerned with, what do I get out of this? What, what am I going to get? That's going to kill community immediately. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a whole book on community called Life Together. Uh, he was a German pastor in World War II who... Uh, Was killed by the Nazis. Um, But he wrote this whole book. It's probably one of the best books on community there is. And he says this about community, that the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them, they will create community. Like, there's something about simply loving the people around us, about placing their needs ahead of ours, that really creates community. Um, there was a a writer in 2nd century AD, his name's Aristides, he's a Greek from Athens, Um, and he was writing about the the Christian church. And he becomes a Christian, and he's writing about the Christian church, and in his writing, he's just making observations about the church and why why this thing is so electric and why so many people are joining and, and why this movement seems so powerful. He says this, and if there is among them... Anyone that is poor and needy and they don't have any food to spare, they'll fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. So, so literally, if there's someone who's in need and, and let, let, let's say someone here is in need and I don't have any money, I'm probably going to say, like, sorry. You know, that's too bad. I don't have any money either. But these people, they took it to the next level. It seems like this is crazy. This seems crazy, right? That they would see someone in need. They don't have any f- enough food themselves, but what they, they decide is, I'll just fa- You know what I'll do? I'll just fast. That way I can save up the food and give it to them. Like, I'll just not eat for a couple days. Could you imagine that kind of, like, placing someone above yourself, that, that kind of service to one another? And I've seen it here even at this church. I've seen, you know, we're going to camp with the students in the summer, And in just conversations, I've mentioned, you know, oh, you know, yeah, some of the, it's pretty expensive. Some of the students can't afford to to, to pay for the whole thing or can't afford to go. And I mean, almost immediately, people just walk up to me and, like, hand me bundles of cash. And are like, I would love to pay for someone to go to camp. There's people in this room who've done that, who've just given me cash and said, I'll pay for a kid to go to camp. And like, that's not your kid. Why would you pay for not your kid to go to camp? Because th- there's this like sacrificial love of putting others in, in front of that 's the kind of thing that creates community that 's the kind of thing that 's powerful. Um, finally, the fourth thing I think we need to do is, is to not give up. I think there's a, a steadfastness to community that we lack nowadays. Um, community isn't easy like like it It isn't convenient. It isn't always fun. It isn't, like, always good for my schedule. It it doesn't make you rich. It's not going to get you, you know, a a promotion most of the time. Sometimes you've got to listen to, like, boring stories about someone you don't even know. Sometimes you have to help someone move in Phoenix in the middle of the summer. Like, I'm having some therapy right now, telling you guys. But, like, it's not always, like what we imagine it to be. But you can't have this depth of community that our souls were created for without showing up consistently, right? especially when it's hard to do. If if we're not consistently showing up in one another's lives, we're not going to get to those good, like deep moments where we connect with one another. Um, It's not efficient. You can't do six weeks together. And check it off the box and be done. Like th- this is a thing that we're constantly striving after, that we're constantly uh, pursuing, and-, and it's messy, and-, and sometimes it's awkward, and sometimes it's fantastic. But here's the thing: it is so worth it. Like I've been in a community where, like, for a long time, we show up and we meet together, and we hang out with one another, and we study scripture together and it will feel dry and feel like, well, is this even going anywhere? And then something happens where, like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't miss this for the world. Like, I need, I need this. Like, I feel connected here, and these are my people, and they, they take care of me. Um, when we had COVID, you know, almost a year ago, like, all of a sudden just, like, people were bringing food to our door, and that happened. Uh, well, every child we had, people, like, taking care of us by bringing us food. And it's so often in those moments that you realize, wow, this, this is a beautiful thing. Like I remember Sarah saying, like this is so worth it, like to be in community with other believers to, like, and to feel taken care of like that, and then to have the opportunity to take care of other people. Like that, That's what we're called to do, even when it's hard. And I think there's a power to showing up consistently in the lives of, of people. Showing up consistently. I think, uh, like I said at the beginning, th- there's a power to community. There's a power to this this ordinary fellowship that we have with one another. Acts two forty-seven um, even talks about how how people were being saved daily because of this power. People are attracted to it. It's it's how we live out the gospel in which we we claim to believe, All right? It's, it's how people come to know Jesus. It's, it's through people. It's through us inviting them in to community. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, one of my favorite verses, says this, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We get to share our lives with other people. It's the thing we were created, like that was created in us to need that. And in within the church, that's what we get to do. We get to share our lives with other people as we share the gospel. It's, it's one of the, the greatest gifts that Jesus invites us to. And, and I just, I don't want us to miss it. I don't want us to miss it because we're so busy with other stuff and, and we're so uh, worried about our schedules and, and all these other things that we have going on in our lives. I want us to be intentional about it. And so that's just my challenge this morning is, is be intentional with someone. About getting together with someone. About having a meal with someone. Um, ask someone to dinner tonight. Like, that would be awesome. That would be so cool. Uh, but but don't let this just kind of slip by. This is, is so important. And, and here, here's another note. I think in, in the church, there's uh, this gap between single people and married people. And I don't think that that is what God has called us to. I don't think that's what the early church looked like. I think if you're a single person, you ought to seek out a families that, you know, you can be in community with. If you're in a family, if you're married, you ought to sing out or, ought to search out single people that that you can be in community with and invite them in and and have them be part of that family that you... And so that's just another encouragement is is find someone um, that's different than you. It's not in the same stage of life that might be uh, in a little bit different of a situation than you are. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you for creating us for community that we don't have to do life alone, that that following you is is a team sport. God, I just pray that you would show us how good it can be to love one another, that you would uh, help us devote ourselves to one another, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, And I pray that you would use this community and the way we love one another to show who you are to the watching world. We would invite them into this. We love you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing here. It's in your name we pray. Amen.